and welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs for short, and church laity to create a culture of care in the church and community. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast. In season five, we're talking all about the intersection of care and social justice. Today's episode is the second part of my conversation with J.J. Warren. J.J. is a public theologian, a speaker, an advocate, and author. In 2019, he made this impassioned plea for the inclusion of LGBTQIA persons in the United Methodist Church. I hope that if you um, happen to miss the first part of the conversation, please go back, listen to that first part of the conversation, and and then join us for the second part. Today's episode JJ shares all about um, how we can be the church for all persons, how we can heal the harm that has been done, and what does 2024 look like when we uh, come back together for General Conference? What does that look like for the future of the United Methodist Church? Oh, this is a remarkable conversation. I left energized, excited, and just on fire for for the future. I mean, JJ has such incredible insight and I am incredibly grateful for, um, for this time to record this podcast. So I hope that you will share this and, uh, take a listen. What's been the biggest surprise for you? So growing up, going to, you know, these conference youth events, I, I grew up with a church that was larger than my home church. You know, it was very important to me to know that, I, you know, we were part of something bigger. Um, and it's been very fulfilling and surprising to be able to experience that on a larger level. So, you know, I, in the first summer after that speech, I visited 30 churches in like three or four months um, across 20 plus states in the U.S., uh, and got to be with United Methodists um, in person and online all across the world in the Philippines and Germany and Denmark. And, and so just being able to experience the beauty of the Methodist connection around the world, the fact that even though our denomination said that we will continue to deny queer people um, in our church, the fact that there were people all over the world in churches saying, no, that's not what we stand for. This is not the Methodist church that we know and that we belong to. And we will make our voices heard um, louder than we were doing before. Um, and we will really lean into this moment to say, how can we be more open? How can we be better allies? Um, especially for a lot of churches that stayed silent during these last few years as they wrestled with this internally or ignored it and pretended it wasn't an issue in their own congregations. Sure, sure. I certainly before was a part of a congregation that um, we knew that it was like the elephant in the room. <laughs> we just don't really talk about it that much. And yet I saw so much harm being done to our very beloved LGBTQ persons in the congregation. And so it was almost like as a pastor, I needed to be affirming to them, but it was almost taboo to talk about it from the pulpit in a way, like almost like if we don't bring it up, maybe, maybe we don't have to talk about it. Maybe we don't have to, you know, maybe it'll go away kind of thing. Mm. Um, which of course is like playing in the middle of that. Um, it's kind of, it's a 
playing in the middle of that fence there, you know, it's like on the fence, but don't want to pick one side or the other. And, and ultimately it just causes, I feel like it causes harm for so many people. Yeah. 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 And and I don't know if I'm skipping ahead here, but part of, you know, part of my calling uh, to be an elder is I, I was very upfront with my decom to say, I, I don't necessarily feel called to one church. Um, I, I, perhaps from my experience as a queer person in the church, feel called to be a pastor to the church, um, to help the church be a better version of itself, to, to help our sacramental life so that we truly are a nurturing community um, that is able to care for uh, and affirm and, and disciple folks. Um, and so part of this, as you were sharing that, you know, on the fence, um, part of me just has to say, you know, that's not all on you. And um, I, I feel holding both tensions. Yes, pastors need to be, to be talking about this with their congregations. And what the reconciling process does well, for folks that haven't looked at that, the reconciling process, rmnetwork.org, they use a toolkit that is not just Methodist. It's used by all den- several denominations. Um, and what this toolkit does is it says that it's not on one person and especially not the pastor, but we need to have a core group of people in our church. We need 10 folks who are passionate about this so that together we're having this conversation in a way that's natural and relational so that the work is being done. These 10 folks in this small core team have divided up all of the members of the congregation and said, we are going to make an effort to reach out to every single person in our congregation so that everyone has had the opportunity to name this topic, to say, we need to talk about LGBTQIA plus inclusion um, and and to make sure that everyone's had the opportunity to have that conversation and, and sharing that burden together as a group in the church. Mm, I love that. I love that. Sharing that together. Mm. Um, there are some people I've come across in churches that are just incredibly defensive, don't want to talk about it, um, have made up their mind. They're not even open for a discussion. Um, where do you think that comes from? How, how have you experienced those, those persons? And, and how do you, you know, you talk about it being relational. How do you have a relationship with people like that? Mm, a couple things. I first, I would say, you know, it's always scary to have our beliefs challenged. Um, you know, in seminary, we constantly have our beliefs challenged, um, and that's something that I talk about in my book, Reclaiming Church. You know, talking about how, why deconstructing even our ideas about God. You know, when you close your eyes, what image do you see when you think of God? And why? And and what's conditioned that image? And if that image, like it was for me, is a white man with a beard, uh, what does that say about God? And, and what does that say about people, right? That, that if I'm constantly going around with this image of God as a white man, I'm seeing white men, even un, you know, unconsciously, subconsciously, as more godly than black women, than women, you know, in general. And so even having a simple idea like our idea of God challenged is scary. Um, 
And so I think that there's a lot of fear there of, okay, if I pluck this one thread, I'm going to, you know, the whole tapestry of my faith is going to unravel. And so, you know, just for me, knowing that the relationship I have with this person is built on trust. Hopefully this person, even if they don't want to talk about this, you know each other. Hopefully you have some sort of rapport. And so you're able to slowly take a step into this conversation. Um, and, and secondly, as a church, um, to help folks slowly make their way into this conversation, you know, the reconciling process talks about a frame. For me, as I think about the future of the Methodist church, I think about our future with LGBTQIA plus inclusion as part of it, as part of reclaiming our Wesleyan heritage. You know, to say we as United Methodists believe that we have three simple rules, that we ought to do no harm, to do good. For those Methodist listeners, I hope you're repeating these, uh, <laughs> to stay in love with God, right? Yes. yes. Amen. Amen. And to truly keep that at the, at the forefront of all that we do. How are we spending our money? Where are we putting, mm. uh, where are we, where are we putting our resources? Mm. How are we promoting programs and community, you know, com uh, community partners? How are we um, partnering in the community to, uh, to uphold those general rules? Mm. And yeah, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. Um, I think what, what comes to mind though, is, you know, you talk about it being a process and sometimes a very long process. Um, when I interviewed Steve Harper, you know, he, he, he shares how it was, I think he was in his sixties when he finally was awakened to like, mm. we're doing LGBTQI persons harm. Mm. Uh, and so he was awakened to this. And so my prayer is that as pastors, we can continue just to pray and to, to love people through this time of, of deconstruction, of, um, of, of searching and knowing that it's, it takes, it's a long process. Mm. Um, and so the little things that we can do as pastors, especially in a congregation that is divided, I think, um, one use language, like you said, of, of how are we how are we affirming those images of God in people's minds? <laughs> so you will never hear me refer to God as a he. I, mm. I just, that's one mm. thing I cut out of my vocabulary several years ago. Also, even just the words, like when I talk about our siblings in Ukraine, I say siblings um, instead of sisters or brothers or say friends. And it's those little things. And then when people ask me, we can have a conversation about it. Mm. And um, now, I don't always get it right. <laughs> Let me just preface that I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Um, but it's so important that we are um, aware of, are we reinforcing that white male image of God mm. or are we expanding people's understanding? You know? Yeah. And, you know, like you said, this, this really is, it's a moment that is both you know, deep with pain. And so making space to name that, you know, and, and also rich with possibilities at the same time, where like never before, we have the opportunity to question everything, you know, to say to our churches, hey, the Methodist church, as we know it, is changing. 
And we have to redefine what it means to be Methodist together. And we get that opportunity. And part of that means we get to talk about things more openly than we ever could or dared before. We get to talk about things like God's pronouns more openly than ever before. And we get, yeah. And we get to be okay with diversity. I mean, Mm -hmm. really, you know, it's to be open about these conversations to say, I don't use male pronouns for God, you know, make space for people to say, well, it doesn't mean that you're wrong when you use pronouns Mm -hmm. for God. It just means that you don't have the only right answer. Mm -hmm. And now we're in a space where it's okay for all of us to use different names and to not judge each other for them, but to be aware of the impact of them and conscious Mm -hmm. and intentional about the way that we do that. And Mm -hmm. I, yeah, yeah. I love that. Absolutely. So someone uh, recently brought to my attention and I guess I, I, I wasn't thinking so much of the implications of, uh, of, we're in 2022 to 2024, right? So the gen, uh, the global Methodist church has formed. There are churches that are now splitting off to be a part of the GMC. And yet we are still stuck. <laughs> I don't know if the right word stuck, but we still have <laughs> uh, the harmful language. And so, but we've got, so we've got two years And there's really no guarantee by the time we get to general conference 2024, that there will be any change. There will be any movement. And I've heard some, um, I guess to, to label people as progressive non-compatibilists that are like, why even stay in the UMC? Look, nothing's changed. Really nothing's changed. We've had some people leave because they don't want to be affirming. And there's other reasons that GMC gives for that as well, but we got two years why, why do you stay? Why, what are your hopes that obviously there's hopes that, that 2024 will bring change, but you're living in a church right now that doesn't affirm you. Like talk, talk to us about what's going through your mind with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I, I'm sorry, I want to clarify church quote unquote book of discipline, because there are many, 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 many churches that do affirm you, many pastors, many laity. So I want to clarify. Mm, <laughs> sorry. Mm, mm, sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, you know, that holding the tension between we're part of this denomination that's harming people. And there's great churches out there that are affirming yeah. people. And, and that's part of the reason I stay is because, you know, since my speech, I've gotten to see firsthand hundreds of communities around the world that are embodying the Methodist church um, that I long for, that so many people have been working for for generations. So to know that there is an already, uh, you know, that the Methodist church of the future, the UMC of tomorrow is embodied today in many places. Um, And also thinking back to right before the pandemic, um, we were at the Church of the Resurrection for one of those gatherings, um, and Junius Dotson, bless his soul, um, who passed away, um, he was standing on the stage and talking about why he stayed, you know, as a Black United Methodist, and saying that he stood on that stage because his ancestors stayed in the denomination, recognizing that that's not right for everybody, but for him, that meant something, to know that we have this lineage of 
of struggle um, of folks who have been committed to making this institution more just because we believe in it. However much harm it is doing, and it is doing harm, we believe that there is something good here that can be reclaimed from the harmful hands of fundamentalism. Something here that is life-giving that's been kept tucked away. Um, and so I stay for the possibilities and also because there are gay kids out there in United Methodist churches around the world. Uh, and so to be an openly gay person in the church, um, you know, it that would have meant something to me to know that there was an openly gay person out there speaking as part of our church. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, know that you, are in our prayers and truly this hard work while you're in the midst of this and just trying to, to live as God has called you and, and created you in God's image to be. And yet, um, this is not an easy, this is not an easy fight. This is, mm -hmm. this takes deep work, um, that, that we as a church are continuing to, um, muddle our way through and, um, and so thank you for, for that, that courage and that persistence, you have that, that gift of persistence. And, and like you said, with Junius, um, for his ancestors to have that gift mm. of persistence mm. is, is remarkable. Mm. Um, so what do you want the congregations, the pastors listening to this, um, to know about care for LGBTQ persons in, in our church, in our, in our community? Yeah, and thanks, thanks for you know highlighting this as as an important part um, of of what you all do. Um, you know, so many times, at least in my area of the church in Upper New York, we're told that you know we're being distracted from the mission of the church when we're talking about LGBTQIA plus people. We're being distracted from the mission of the church, and my response is. The mission of the church is to be a place of inclusion and affirmation and radical love to draw people into a community whom Jesus said would be known by our love for one another. Mm -hmm. And so to care for and talk about and talk with and educate ourselves about LGBTQIA plus folks is not a distraction. It is essential to the mission of the church in this time that we have to be talking about this. And so some things that congregations can do do to help care for us, um, you know, as you already named, education. Education is so important so that congregations are having these conversations without having to ask the one or two or uh, queer people that you don't know are in your congregation to do that labor. So that if, if my partner and I walk into your church tomorrow, um, people don't ask us, you know, oh, how does that work? You know, you've, you've talked about this. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. Why would you? Yeah. Yep. Oh, goodness gracious. You're so, absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure that churches are having these conversations, doing book studies. I think that's mm -hmm. one thing that the pandemic did well for us. Mm -hmm. A lot of churches were meeting in smaller groups more intentionally than before. And so using those small groups, right, part of our Wesleyan tradition uh, to, to study um, different books out there like Reclaiming Church or other books out there like mm -hmm. Transforming um, by Austin Harkey, which takes um, a trans perspective on faith. Uh, and so 
education is key. Relationship building is key. You know, if you're a church that's reconciling, making sure that you are making space to hold events for churches that aren't reconciling yet, or for people in those churches who need a space to talk with folks who understand what they're going through because their church just doesn't generally. Um, so that's really important. And two, um, I would say, you know, there is life-giving water in our tradition, um, both Methodism specifically and Christianity generally, um, and making space to tap into that well for queer people to say, how can we offer a life-giving narrative for you, a way for you to be affirmed? And so for me, one of those stories, uh, so as a preacher, I got to pull out a Bible verse, right? So, yes, please. No. One of those stories, the way that I approach the whole Bible uh, is John 10, 10, parable of the good shepherd. Um, and Jesus says to this group of people that's listening to him, uh, as he's talking about these sheep, he says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And as I look at the church, I see queer joy and queer lives being stolen by the church. The church in many places is the thief in the story. And yet Jesus tells us that he came to give life and give it abundantly. So to tell a queer person that God wants you to have joy, to have a life that is full and joyful, um, that's one story that has given me joy and has, has been you know, a way to care for my own spiritual lives, life and the spiritual lives of queer people um, that ask, you know, how can I approach the Bible in a way that affirms who I am? What are some stories um, that can get me through? Mm. John 10, 10, it's one of my favorites. Mm. That's fantastic. So we, you talk about the ways that um, are, are life giving for queer folks. Let's talk about healing the harm. Um, because I think that some people, especially in communities, I know that specifically Fort Worth, there's this skepticism, like as a church, are you really affirming? And what does that mean? And so we're really having to do that hard work participating. Uh, we have a, um, at the end of this month, we have, we're going to participate in Trinity pride fest. And then again, in October, there's another, a different, um, uh, pride festival that happens as well. Um, and it takes that relational building, but what can we as the church, what can I, as a pastor, what can we as laity do to heal, heal the harm that has been done? Yeah. Whew. We, I love that you get into this so deeply on this <laughs> podcast. That, that's great. Cause you know, sometimes people will be like, Oh, that's such a cute story. John 10, 10. All right. We're done for the day. But you're like, no, let's, let's get to it. <laughs> well, to, because you, you, there's a lot of healing that's needed to have yeah. an abundant life. I mean, I, I believe in ever, that everyone should be in therapy. I have a mm, therapist. Mm, everyone should mm, be in therapy mm. um, because that is how we have abundant life. Healing must take place. Yeah. And, and Oh yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, again, as, as a nerd, so I'll be starting a PhD in theology, uh, in September, October in Vienna. Um, oh, and so, sweet. yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I, so, so I just, you know, looking back at Christian tradition and being like, wow, if we took our tradition seriously, 
we would realize that we have resources to do this, that our liturgy is structured in such a way that we ought to be accustomed to confession and that we ought to be accustomed to doing repentance uh, and, and that we ought to be trained on how we can do reconciliation relationally. Um, and so we, you know, in this time, we have the opportunity to take our liturgy seriously and say, okay, like you just asked, what is what does this look like? And so I think first it it does entail confession. So some sort of public act, you know, maybe even at Pride, having your church people with ashes or something saying, we are repenting of the harm that our church has done and making a space for folks to name the harms that have been done. Mm. You know, just holding that space, holding that space to say, we are here to hear you. Share your pain. We will hear you. Mm. That's excellent. And and then, you know, after we make that space of confection, what, what does repentance look like? You know, how do we have a service? How do we make it liturgical um, and also structural? You know, so how do our committees now um, change the language that we use in our committees? You know, repentance, having all of these different steps and reconciliation of, okay, what are the structural changes we can make to have a a bathroom that is Um, Mm non-gendered? The language that we use or the images that we use or the committees that we have, who who is leading these committees? Whose voices are being centered? you know, so that we're not just a church talking about including queer people, but a church that is being led by queer people, which, which quite frankly is frustrating me about all these conversations about the future of the denomination being hosted by these lovely straight allies um, <laughs> without queer people leading these conversations. Right, right, right. Um, absolutely. So the fact, yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right though. I, I mean, why are we trying to project on what is needed when that is not our experience? Mm, mm, mm. And, and to say, you know, it's, it's important that you're out there saying that this needs to happen and using, you know, for my, our straight ally pastors out there, especially pastors at big churches like church of the resurrection to elevate young leaders who are queer to say, okay, how can we use this platform and this conversation, you know, that we've been doing. And that's amazing that you all have been having that conversation. You here being, you know, allies that are, that are being part Mm -hmm. of forming the church. And now how do we center queer voices, black voices, indigenous voices, you know, women in this conversation to say, what is the church? You can lead this conversation and together we will be reconciling the church Mm -hmm. with all of these different folks who have been harmed by it. Do you think it's about letting go of that power? I mean, do you think that's the hesitation? What's the hesitation in that? Honestly, yes. And (laughs) I I think, and a lot of the pastors that are leading these conversations, you know, we're we're getting real here. This is a great real podcast. (laughs) You know, it's, it's white men. And I think we've been conditioned, myself included, to say, okay, there's something that needs to be done. I'm going to go do it. And in some cases, like, okay, great. You know, no one was doing that. That's great. But also we haven't learned how to pass the microphone. And that was a skill I had to learn. And so for the white male straight pastors out there to learn, it's great that you are speaking up and pass the microphone. That is the next 
thing that's required. It's a skill that we haven't been taught, you know, many men to pass the microphone. And that's a skill that we need to say, oh, I, I never realized this. And some pastors that I've talked to about this have been really great about saying, wow, you know, thanks for saying that. Yeah, you know, come and speak at my church or yeah, I have this person at my church that I didn't think of before. So, so thanks for saying that. Yeah. And sometimes I think they just need to be awakened to like, Hey, this is what I observe. <laughs> you mm. also need to give more time and, mm. um, more opportunities. Um, I feel like we, and I say, uh, you know, as a, as a woman, obviously, um, we, we see that, mm. <laughs> but sometimes it's hard to say, Hey, can I have the microphone? Right. And it's, mm. it's almost that, um, because again, like I can speak for my spouse, for myself. Um, I've been conditioned of, you just don't speak up first. Right. Mm. And so I can imagine minorities and those in the margins who don't feel like they have that voice. They don't feel like, um, and then of course you've got the systemic, you know, problems of, of all the reasons why they haven't been given that opportunity in the first place, which is generational oftentimes. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's that awareness. It really mm. is. And, and it's my own awareness as a white woman. Mm. Um, I, I mentioned to you, I had an African-American woman in worship with me yesterday to, to talk about Juneteenth. I don't, cause I don't know that experience. And mm. so um, mm. it, it's elevating those voices mm. and leaning into the wisdom that we have so much to learn. Mm. We really, we have so much to learn. Mm. Um me included, me especially, <laughs> me Same. especially. And so I'm grateful um, just for space in this podcast to, to learn. So mm. I'm learning right alongside everyone else. Mm. Um, so let's fast forward to 2024 general conference. What's going to happen? <laughs> well, <laughs> Not that you have a crystal ball. <laughs> I was going to say, let me get my crystal ball crystal here. Ball here. <laughs> What do you, you know to happen? What are you dreaming? I, yeah. What am I, I, that's a great question. Um, and, and my hope is that we will, we have a great opportunity to be a denomination that truly embodies cross-culturalism to say we exist a Methodist in Kenya is equally as United Methodist as a Methodist in Boston or Mississippi. But I don't know, me personally, what it's like to be a Methodist in Kenya and how being a Methodist in Kenya is different from being a Methodist in Boston. And we have the opportunity to say, okay, the church in the US is going to be shaking loose and changing and the church across the world. But, you know, we're going to lose a lot of our big churches from the South, especially, um, you know, and so the, the power is going to change, which is a good thing. So that the power will be shifting away from the US and, and towards the rest of the connection so that power is shared more intentionally. That's part of my hope. Um, and, and one way that we'll get there is through legislation called the Christmas Covenant, um, which seeks to let each region of the church make its own rules. Mm -hmm. and, and so as we do that, as we give power away to each region of the church, we have the opportunity to say, okay, now we have these people who have been empowered all around the world who have been disempowered for so long. Now 
we all together get to lead into this time and recognize and name and celebrate the diversity of ways that United Methodism exists around the world to learn the ways that we in the US have been harmful to our siblings around the world and the connection and to you know, gain wisdom uh, together and learn about Methodism in other places. So that's that's my hope that we will truly be a more equitable global connection that will learn and check our privileges, um, and that each each place will be empowered. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. That is my hope and dream as well. And we we have so much to learn from one another, mm. and I feel like. We are stronger together. However, we are, we're just so, we are so different though too. I mean, that's, that's the, that is the key. Um, how do we empower each region, each um, continent mm. to be the best UMC it can be in, in its area. Mm. Um, mm. That is beautiful. Um, so how can people connect with you and follow your work? Yeah. Um, if you go to my website, jjwarren.org, you'll get an annoying pop-up uh, and an annoying pop-up that says, subscribe to my newsletter. Um, and so very Methodist is called the circuit. Uh, mm-hmm. And so every church that I visit, um, I share stories. So that folks around the connection, you know, it's about 2000 Methodist or non-Methodist friends right now. Um, so that folks in you know, a rural church in Mississippi know that they're not alone in the struggle for justice um, and that, you know, we are sharing our collective wisdom together. So that's that's one way um, on all social media at it's me, JJ Warren. Um, that's my handle. Yeah, that's the perfect. word for that. I'm a Gen Zer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, I will be sure to link all of that in our show notes as well. Lastly, I want to know how can we pray for you? Hmm. Thank you. Um, I, I'll be moving, um, soon. And so just continued support to know that, um, in the midst of all of this change in the church, in my own life, um, that folks are out there, um, supporting me. Um, so, you know, prayers for continued peace amidst transition, um, and for continued affirmation as, you know, as all queer people and um, women in ministry and so many groups of people, we constantly have things, people writing against us online. So continued affirmation is always soul-filling. Absolutely. Well, I know our listeners will be in prayer with you and for you. Um, JJ, you are a remarkable leader and I am proud to be a United Methodist um, because I can say as a, uh, as a, as a follower of Jesus, as a, as a diehard United Methodist, we're together in this. We are together in this and uh, you are not alone. And uh, we certainly are going to continue to do this work together and uh, know that we are, are big fans of yours. <laughs> so thank you for being on, on our show. Thank you.
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Be sure to share this, rate it, like it, give us some comments. It helps with the algorithm so others can find it. Perhaps there's someone in your church community or in your family that needs to hear uh, of this great conversation. And then tune in next week as I interview Reverend Rachel Bachman. And we're going to talk all about homelessness. It's a powerful, powerful conversation. And also check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com. Until we meet again next time, may God bless you and keep you.